She's a doctor who spent years working in prison studying the most violent criminals, and she was attacked and assaulted. She transitioned into working with police officers and first responders, their families, regards to trauma. She's here to tell her story on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. In the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, we are joined by special guests talking about their experiences, their realities of investigating crimes, plus those who have experienced horrendous trauma, police, first responders, military, and victims of crime share their stories. Hi, I'm John J. Wiley. In addition to being a broadcaster, I'm also a retired police sergeant. Be sure to check out our website, letradio.com, and also like us on Facebook. Search for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. If you want to be a guest on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, simply contact us. It couldn't be easier. You can send us a message on Facebook. Look for and like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show page or email j at letradio.com. That's j-a-y at letradio.com. Contacts from California with Dr. Leslie Dobson on the phone. Dr. Dobson, but first of all, her website is drleslydobson.com. That's spelled D-R-L-E-S-L-I-E-D-O-B-S-O-N.com. And she's got a pretty big Instagram. It's at drleslydobson.com. She's author of the book, The Friend Cleanse, teaching people how to be aware and set healthy boundaries with toxic people in their lives in order to preserve their energy. First of all, Dr. Leslie, thanks for being a guest on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, and thanks for agreeing to talk about these things, which are not easy to talk about. Very much appreciated. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. One of the things we're going to talk about is you, you spent many years working in prisons. You were studying psychopaths, and uh, look, I don't have answers for them. I know you're going to be more clinical than that, but you went through a thing where you got attacked and assaulted. Before we talk about that... Uh, and what happened and how it impacted you. I'd like to know more about, because people say, oh, the good news is they got sentenced to life. They'll never, they'll never see daylight again. And I say, yeah, what about the people that have to work in their prisons? So you spent many years in the prisons in California working, studying these psychopaths. What drove you to do that? It's an interesting question because it's a bit of a snowball effect as you get into the field. It becomes more and more interesting. But initially, I started because everyone told me I couldn't do it and I couldn't handle it. And so my defiance really led me to say, I'm going to find the most difficult place near me to work, and I'm going to help them start a training program so my first year in my doctorate, I was a young, naive girl from Orange County. I walked into the Los Angeles County Jail, which is one of the most chaotic jails in the world. And I said, let's put together a training program and start to build mental health awareness. Uh, and they, it took some convincing, but they agreed. And so I was the first trainee group that they had ever had there. I'm sure you had some of the comments that, what are you doing? Are you nuts? Uh, what are you going volunteering <laughs> to go into that environment for? I found it completely fascinating. Uh, and one of the reasons it was so fascinating was because these are individuals who are arrested and put into the jail. They're not medicated yet. They're acutely psychotic. They've just committed heinous, violent crimes. And it is the most raw you will ever see the presentation of mental illness. 
and also psychopathy and that differentiation between the people who are faking it and the really, really sick people. And I immediately found it so fascinating that I could sit there with them and I could sit there with a cannibal. I could sit there with somebody who just murdered someone and still had blood under their fingernails and actually have a human connection and talk to them about why, how, what happened. Well, a good argument could be made that, and I hear it all the time, and I'm sure you have too, that you have to be mentally ill to commit murder. You have to be mentally ill to some respect to commit violent crimes. And while that might be true, and I want to hear your your input on this, there's a big difference between insanity from our point of view and a legal point of view. Do people need to be mentally ill in order to commit murder? No. Definitely not. But there is, you know, there's a legal standard and there's a clinical standard. I mean, I think everyone has the ability to commit murder. But the question is, when you are doing it, are you aware of the consequences and are you still choosing to do it? Right. Are you in a mindset where you are aware? And I think many people I've met who have murdered are very aware of the consequences and still choose to commit the crime. I'm glad you said that because in, in, earlier you alluded to this, that, that there are fakers. There are people who commit horrendous violent crimes that are fully aware of what they do. They know right from wrong. They know all that stuff. They don't meet the clinical definition of insanity or the legal definition, yet they'll put on a big act. And you, part of your job was discovering who's for real and who's not, isn't it? Or wasn't it? Yes, and that's where I found being a, a young white woman, and I guess you could say I'm somewhat attractive, I found that they put on even more of a show for me. And that narcissistic portrayal of their murders, of their crimes, was a dead giveaway. And so I was actually able to figure out more of the lies than the men I was working with. I'm glad you said that. And and here's the reason why. And I don't want to sound sexist. And by the way, if you love to throw any word out there that's got ist in the end, it's a reflection of you, not me. I'm responsible for what I say and what I do, not for how you take it or how you feel. But one of the things, being male, mm-hmm. is I was always taught that for me to be as genuine as possible, I have to have conversations with other men. Because whether I believe it or not, or whether it's subconscious or not, I put on a bit of an act when I'm in front of a female. Interesting. Yes. And I would say it's the same the other way, yeah. but most criminals are male, right? So oh, yeah. we have our statistics and our understanding from men. But you had to be acutely aware that, number one, people need to understand. I hated going into jails. Baltimore City Jail, I hated it. Uh, we, we gave up our weapons. We went in. We did our business, whatever it might be. Number one, the noise, the, the constant threat of violence was uh, never ending. The same with every correctional institution I can think of. But I couldn't wait to get out of there. And one of the things I tell people all the time is I couldn't handle the noise alone, never mind the the constant threats of violence. But you had to be acutely aware that you didn't, I'm making a judgment here, you didn't have the physical ability to defend yourself like some of these great big scrapping guys do. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, part of the training was that if something goes down, you're, one of everyone. We go hands-on. And I thought even the training, the initial training they give you of, you know, how to twist your arms to get somebody 
who's grabbing your wrist <laughs> to get them off, how inefficient the training was and how I had no idea how to actually use it under under duress when something was actually going down. So I, I walked around every day feeling like a victim before I actually became a victim. Ah, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. It's a, that's a great point because people always say, what about all oh, those arm bars? I think it was Mike Tyson always said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Then all of a sudden, everything goes out the window. I'm a big believer in this, that no matter how big or strong you are, how good a fighter you are, it doesn't matter. If someone is an aggressor, you have to take them out of their game plan and get them into a defensive posture in order to win that. And one of the best ways, even for a smaller person, is to go for the eyeballs. It's awfully hard to not defend against attack on eyeballs. Yes, and, you know, parts of the mouth and, of course, the obvious areas, the genitals. Yeah. But the government's not <laughs> you going had to, to go there. staff that, right? Dr. Leslie, you had to go there. I, I, I all of a sudden started cringing. It's like talking to my wife. She always knows that I have a big thing about fingernails and toenails, and yet she'll want to tell me about that. Oh, my God, look what happened to my toenail today. We're talking with Dr. Leslie Dobson on the Law Enforcement Talk radio show. we return, we're going to talk about an incident where she was attacked working in jails or prison and how it impacted her and how it changed the direction of her life. There's only one official Facebook page for the show. Do a search on Facebook for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and be sure to click like. This is the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Be sure to follow the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and podcast on the Newsbreak app. Newsbreak is your number one local news app for current events, free live news for you and your community. Download the Newsbreak app today for free and be sure to follow the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast on the Newsbreak app. Return a conversation with Dr. Leslie Dobson on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Dr. Dobson wrote the book, The Friend Cleanse, teaching people how to be aware and set healthy boundaries with toxic people in their lives in order to preserve their energy. Her website is drlesliedobson.com. That's D-R-L-E-S-L-I-E-D-O-B-S-O-N.com. And you can find her on Instagram. Just look for at Dr. Leslie Dobson. Dr. Dobson, you were, you were working in the prisons. You're, you're studying psychopaths, and we'll go back to that conversation in a moment. But you had a, a life-changing incident where you were attacked and assaulted doing your job in the prisons. Can you talk about that? I can. I, I had many incidences, but one of the first really stood out to me because I felt incredibly vulnerable. I was working in a state hospital where there are active inmates or there are people who served their prison term, but they were too mentally ill to be let out into the community. So they stayed locked in the facility. And there was a day where I had to meet with a client and check on his mental health and assess his violence. And I could see he was, he wasn't talking, he was mute. And I could see him following me a little closely, a little closer than normal and we moved somewhat towards a corner and I could see his eyes scanning my body and 
I turned around to say, don't touch me. I knew he was going to do something. And he immediately grabbed both my breasts and pinned me against the wall and was about to aggress more. And I pulled my alarm, an alarm I wear on my hip. And within seconds, staff came and pulled him off me. Uh, But it was actually the first time I realized how naive I was to the to the strength of the danger within these facilities. And I was, I froze. And it took me a long time to come back from that. Uh, It's totally understandable that you froze. I remember the first time that I got assaulted as a police officer. And by the way, the old time police really gave it to me when it was over with. When backup got there, we got him subdued and everything else. But the first thing, and I think this happened all the time, all throughout my career, Dr. Dobson, was that when someone would either punch or assault me or shoot at me, I'm like, why are you doing this? The first thing that comes to your mind is it's almost not like a, a deer in the headlights, but it's like a bit of a shock to your system about why is this even happening? It can't be happening. Definitely. I, I, I froze and I started thinking to myself, why is it happening? And I trusted this individual and I immediately started to blame myself for putting myself in that situation. Right. Look, I I can understand that. I, I don't understand the blaming part of it as much as the rest of it. One of the things that we were always told, and I'd love to hear your response is, well, that's what they signed up for. Did you hear that? All the time. Uh, that's what I signed up for because of what I was wearing. I chose to, I chose to use makeup that day. I chose to look more attractive. I, you know, all of the reasons that I put myself in that setting uh, became the the reason I was assaulted. And by the way, that was one of the things it, we heard for a very long time that somehow, and still it goes on, Dr. Leslie, here, well, she kind of asked for it because she wore this outfit instead of something else. Yes. And what I like to say to people is a lot of men do not try to rape women. A lot of men do not try to or do not get into violent acts. There is a choice for both individuals. And my presence doesn't give anyone permission to intrude on me or take my integrity. I agree. But you are increasing your risk in life. And you're working the prison. So this was, before we get into other incidents, you said this was the first one. How old were you when this occurred? When that occurred, I believe I was about 29, probably. And you did some of the self-blaming, I did this, I could have done this, I should have done that? Oh, definitely. I, I questioned my whole career. I questioned why I had done all of this. And I sought out support. I started journaling. I started putting together, you know, the both sides, the evidence of why I did this and why I should not have done this. And I had spiraling thoughts. And I started to have panic attacks when I was in corners inside the prison. Uh, and it hit me really hard because I couldn't leave the job. I needed the the salary, I needed the pension, I needed the student loan forgiveness. I felt as handcuffed as all of the people inside. Right. right. Uh, that's a great point. I, I never quite thought of it that way. You felt like you didn't have much choice. I felt like I didn't have a choice, and I felt like I had never been taught 
alternative careers, I felt like the way the structure of becoming a psychologist puts you into these jobs is also a ceiling that you don't see. It's an invisible wall, an invisible prison. And you feel stuck for those reasons, too, because you're uneducated on how the rest of the world makes money. Well, one of the things that I, I say all the time, I'd love to claim this as being my own. It's not. And I'm sure you've heard it before, that the coulda, shoulda, woulda. If I had done this differently, then this would have occurred or that would have occurred. Uh, and always had to learn. And it was basically people like you and, and mental health physicians and therapists who said, Look, you're not God. You weren't Superman. You, you did the best you could with what you had. Did you ever reach that point where you thought, okay, I'm not God. I'm not Superman. I'm not this. I did the best I could. And you found a, a, a I don't want to say put it to rest, but you found a, a way to, to deal with it healthier? Yes. Yes. I think after seeing so much violence and seeing such strong, incredible people get assaulted and get attacked, uh, I learned that I, I am not special. And even the people who I considered far more special than me were breaking in these situations. And it was a real come to Jesus moment where I said, wow, we are very, very human. And we are humans trying to work with humans. And it actually, you know, I really saw the inmates and the criminals and the mentally ill people as far superior to us because they didn't have anything to stop them. They didn't care about the consequences or they weren't aware of them. They were, they had no bounds. So they actually had way more power over us in these settings. That's a great point. Quite often, they, one of the things that people say, why don't you just, why didn't you just do this? And I always say, well, number one, you weren't there. So it's easy to, to pass judgment from the comfort and safety of your, your desk. Uh, number two, that stuff really doesn't come, and we're going to come to this conversation a little bit more in depth in a moment. The the intelligence, the mental willpower, all that stuff, at times it can become a handicap and an issue when you have life-threatening situations. All you can do is respond and revert to your training. We're talking with Dr. Leslie Dobson on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Of all the radio stations in the United States, there are no other shows like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. And on Facebook, there's only one official page. Do a search on Facebook for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. And be sure to like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show Facebook page. Got more to talk about. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. If you want to be a guest on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, simply contact us. It couldn't be easier. You can send us a message on Facebook. Look for and like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show page or email j at letradio.com. That's jay at letradio.com. Return to our conversation with Dr. Leslie Dobson on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Dr. Leslie Dobson is author of the book, The Friend Cleanse, teaching people how to be aware and set healthy boundaries with toxic people in their lives in order to preserve their energy. You can go to her website, get more details about her, drlesliedobson.com. That's D-R-L-E-S-L-I-E-D-O-B-S-O-N.com. And you can also find her on Instagram, 
Look for at Dr. Leslie Dobson. For winter break, you're talking about working in a prison. You're 29. You got attacked by, uh, actually, it wasn't a prison. It was a state mental facility, but it was a, a prisoner, correct, that had a, what's the word, evolved into that? Yeah, it was a, an inmate who was not released because he was too mentally ill. So gotcha. He became technically in California a patient. One of the things that, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to say this as sensitively as possible, I'm obtuse when it comes to people hitting on me. I don't get it. I don't see it. Women flirt with me. I don't see it. I don't notice it. But uh, is it safe to say that a lot of women, maybe it's a self-preservation thing, become more aware of that, So more so than men? Yes. I, my People hit on my husband all the time, and he's completely unaware. <laughs> <laughs> I'm acutely aware. I am acutely aware of every single motion, eye movement, stance of any man around me all the time. And yeah. I think women carry with them that constant uh, threat, that constant victimization that our society is put in. I, I look, I, th- I always tell women all the time, I have four younger sisters uh, and my mother, of course, and my wife and I have two daughters. And I always tell them, look, predators are seeking you out. And I'm, I'm not saying to be uh, paranoid all the time, but you've got to be aware of your environment. Well, reason I'm getting that is you started noticing that this guy was acting differently and that started a little alarm bells in your head. Hey, something's not right. Yes, I you know, what I like to tell people is you need to trust your gut. You need to trust your intuition, because even if it doesn't make sense, something in your system is reminding you of something that links to a threat. And that's where if that hair on the back of your neck stands up. That's where you just listen and you go. So he didn't do anything to me on the camera footage where I could have said, don't touch me. But I said, don't touch me because I knew it was coming. Uh-huh. Look, uh, 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 you are preaching to the choir here. And one of the things I always tell people, and this was, yeah, I guess part of my police training was, uh, especially with sexual assault victims, was to say to trust your gut, to trust your God-given or nature-given instincts, whatever you think, whatever applies to you. If something is making you fearful that the attack is imminent, trust your gut. If you're wrong, you can always apologize later on. Exactly. And I think we are taught to not trust our gut. We're we're taught constantly that, you know, we use the word gaslighting. We're taught in relationships. We're taught by our employers. We're taught by everyone around us that our emotions are too dramatic and we shouldn't follow them. But again, like you said, act, save your life and apologize later because who cares? What's the risk? Exactly. And and the reason the hair stood up on the back of your neck was something was not right. Uh, and usually, uh, maybe more so for women than men, because like I said, I'm kind of obtuse from time to time. But I notice things that my wife doesn't from a police experience. Uh, and, but she notices other things that I don't notice. But if something makes me aware that there's a potential threat, I pay a real serious amount of attention to it. Are you that way now? I'm I'm extremely aware, and I think that it's led to a hypervigilance, and it's probably a, a part of PTSD from everything I've been through. Uh, but I'm overly aware. I can walk into 
a restaurant. I can walk into a store and without even meaning to, I know exactly how many people are in there. I know where the exits are. I know who is a threat. I know who's dressed nicer, you know, who, who would not want to harm me because they have more to risk. You know, I don't mean to, but I size up everything all the time immediately. And it takes me out of the present day, but it also keeps me safe. Uh, look, if you and I had to go to dinner together, we'd have an argument over which chair to sit in because I've got to be in certain seats. My wife does that all the time. She's <laughs> like, this is one that's best for you, right? Yep, she knows. Yes, and and I see that so much in policemen and firemen and military and I never thought as a psychologist that that would be in me too, but I have this vicarious trauma and I also have just endured so much trauma working with criminals and people who look for any single invitation that they're interpreting as an invitation to take from you physically or to snatch something from you. Right. And they don't care. They don't care at all. They don't have the restraints that you and I have. You mentioned that earlier in the conversation. Uh, whether it be laws, whether it be mental illness, uh, right from wrong, all that stuff, they don't have that. And they, and I hate to tell people this all the time, we worry about the boogeyman. Well, quite often, it's the, the lunatic down the street that's a total loser that can really ruin your entire life, if not kill you. And people need to be aware of that. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, all of these inmates I've worked with, their victims never saw it coming. Every victim said, I didn't think it was going to happen to me. But at the end of the day, everyone has potential to be a victim. And I know I am now too extreme in that degree. And you probably are. And, you know, anyone who really isn't ignorant anymore can be too extreme. But I'm okay with that. Look, uh, it's a given. One of the things that many of my guests in this show, Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, have said is that, if you work in police work long enough, if you are a firefighter, you're an EMT, you're a dispatcher, you work in corrections, you're military, whatever it might be, a victim of crime, you're going to get dinged up. You're going to be impacted. And one of the things we always say is, and we followed up with a laugh, is I'm damaged goods, but I'm okay with that. I, I no longer try to be like I was when I was 18 before this bad stuff happened. Yeah, what I really think is I was given the capacity to hold these horror stories, and I will stand on the wall and protect the community from the evil that they don't need to live with day in and day out, and I can tolerate it. And that, I don't know why it was given to me, but I will do it. That is my purpose, and I will let people live better lives. And I have the ability to do violence risk assessments to keep dangerous people in in prison to testify to explain to a jury why people need to stay locked up or why they need to come out and i am happy to sit there with a mass murderer i am happy to sit there with a cannibal and over and over assess if they are able to get back out into the community or if they are too dangerous and we need to keep them inside and, and, and it's a job that needs to be done. I to that. Right. Look, I, I applaud it's you for doing yeah. that. One of the things that, and I, I think it was Nietzsche, I can't remember, but those who, who fight evil, and I'm paraphrasing, those who fight evil all day, every day, need to make sure that they don't become evil themselves. When we return, 
We're going to talk more with Dr. Leslie Dobson, how this impacted her and how it transitioned or motivated her to do what she's doing today. Remember when news was free? Be sure to check out the Newsbreak app. It's free. And be sure to follow the Law Enforcement Talk radio show and podcast on the Newsbreak app. Newsbreak is your number one local news app for current events, free live news for you and your community. Download the Newsbreak app today for free and be sure to follow the Law Enforcement Talk radio show and podcast on the Newsbreak app. That's the free Newsbreak app. Be sure to look for and follow the Law Enforcement Talk radio show and podcast. Don't go anywhere. I promise you some mind-blowing stuff coming up on the Law Enforcement Talk radio show. We'll be right back. One of the questions I get all the time is how can I show my support for law enforcement? We're all busy. We've got busy lives, but there's something oh so simple you can do with our Facebook page. Search for Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show Facebook page. And when you see a post you agree with that resonates with you, share it, especially episodes of the podcast. To do all that, just search for us on Facebook, look for Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, and be sure to click like. Return a conversation with Dr. Leslie Dobson on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Her website is drlesliedobson.com. That's D-R-L-E-S-L-I-E, Dobson.com. Uh, you can find her on Instagram at Dr. Leslie Dobson. She's author of the book, The Friend Cleanse, teaching people how to be aware and set healthy boundaries with toxic people in their lives in order to preserve their energy. Before the breaks, we were talking about you being attacked in prison, how that changed you, the work you've done. And part of what, and I'm, I'm, I know I'm shorting this quite a bit, but you transitioned and instead of working prisons, now you work more with first responders. Am I correct? Yes. And it's not just like police and, and other law enforcement people. It's all first responders out of Orange County. And you also work with their family members as well. And it's about trauma therapy. Uh, that That's a really interesting concept. And the reason why I say this, I started seeking help getting help back late 1980s and let's just say they didn't have the tools they have today and there when you dealt with trauma a lot of the the practitioners a lot of therapists and whatnot they were very good intent they had great intentions but they they didn't have the experience that's changed quite a bit how has your experience benefited you when you start dealing with these people going through horrific situations and trying to find their new normal for lack of better words I've had a lot of training on how to hold someone's horrific story and be there to help move them out of the pain, out of the difficult emotions that are stuck to the story. And the goal is that the story still exists, but it gets more faint and the emotions get less strong. Mm -hmm. And what we can do is we can have this the psychologist, the therapist, their office can be a place where the stories stay. And then you can go live your life with grace until your next appointment when you want to pick it back up and live it. And we work on it. And so we really compartmentalize the traumas and we work with each one. And it's helped me a great deal because I see people change and I see people who have these traumas feel better. They have better relationships. They're getting happier. They're more interested in hobbies. And that makes me so excited and it makes me want to do the same for myself. So I heal as others heal. 
That's a great point of view, looking at it that way. One of the things that, and I'm sure you, you, you try not to get too personal when you're dealing with someone, but some of this got to, like someone asked me the other day about my radio show. They, they, do you talk a lot about what you went through? I'm like, no, I don't, because it's really about the guest. And every now and then when I have something that is relative, that that it makes for a good comparison. I will, I will mention it briefly, but I don't go in a lot of details and I don't talk a lot about it because quite honestly, this stage of my life, I don't want to. Yes. If it will help move somebody out of a stuck point, I will share, Yeah. but I don't have to tell you my details to be present with you. And you really know, I get you right. We've both been in so much pain and we've both been stuck. And if I can help nudge you, I'll do it with my story or I'll do it by moving you with your story. I mean, I can sit with police and I can sit with firemen and I can see in their eyes the minute they have a flashback and they are not in the room and then they come back. And so what I say then is, where'd you go? And that is where we start to really dig into the trauma because I'm so aware of the nuances of when a flashback and a trauma comes, I can see it in their body and their personality. Right. And I can see it also because it's happened to me. Well, I snickered not because uh, what you said was funny. Cause my, my ex-wife used to say it all the time. You, she'd say you went on many, many vacations. Where'd you go? You know, and it was, uh, I can't, I really can't adequately describe it, but you know what I'm talking about. One of the things that uh, I want to get to, and, you know, granted, this is many years down the road. I retired from police work in 1992 at the ripe old age of 33. And my wife, I call her the boss, and I were watching House of Cards on television. And it's filmed primarily in Baltimore. And I started watching it, and I noticed I was changing. And my demeanor was changing. And I was like, that's, that's not DC, that's Baltimore. And then they had a scene where they're in a courthouse and I, I got angry immediately. But bad stuff happened in the courthouse. So one of the things I want to get at and is that unlike, and I love police, I really do. But I claim this stuff is mine. This, this is the way I'm changed. It no longer matters why, it just is. How How relevant is that to you do you think in making progress i think it really depends on how life is going right if if the triggers if things trigger you and you go back to it and it really alters your relationships and your irritability or your quickness to rage then it becomes really important and we got to work through it and the same thing happens to me like i was in an in a store the other day and someone with schizophrenia came in they were hallucinating screaming at the staff and I could feel my right glute my right butt cheek just started convulsing because that's what would happen to me when I was about to be assaulted in the prisons I had this trembling right glute and I thought wow okay the trauma I'm I'm safe I'm in a store right now I'm not gonna get hurt by this guy but the trauma is still inside my body and that's not good and so that, to me, told me I need to reground myself. I need to, you know, get my get my life together a bit right now because I don't want to be so reactive. Right. That's the thing. I hate giving other people power over my responses. I hate that. And uh, and I promise we'll we'll talk more about you in a moment. I've got to ask this question. 
There's, there's three things I look out for all the time. One is anger or rage. Am I not getting along with people who matter to me? Uh, if I'm doing a lot more of that, that lets me know usually that I need to focus on some other things, uh, dealing with my mental health. Am I sleeping the same sleep patterns? Am I eating around the same time every day? Those are three red flags I look out for. But that anger and rage and becoming reactive is a real issue and can be and was for me a very long time a big problem. Yes, and it's so quick. It's so quick. You will, like, if we talk about a scale of 1 to 10 and 10 is the rage, some people can wake up at a 2. And if something annoys them, then they go to a 3 or a 4. But a police officer might wake up at a two, something annoys them and he jumps to a seven and he stays at that seven all day. So he's really got to be careful because if something else happens, then he's going to get fiercely angry. So when we have trauma in our brain, it's always going to impact how we work in the world for the rest of our lives. And we have to maintain that awareness and the self care, even if we are having a good day. Well, I'm glad we had a chance to talk about this. Somebody tells us we could talk at length about recovery in particular from uh, traumatic events. I want to shift gears and talk about your book, The Friend Cleanse, teaching people how to be aware and set healthy boundaries, which I it rings big bells for me, with toxic people in their lives in order to preserve their energy. What possessed you to write this book? <laughs> Well, I have to say I've been manipulated a lot in my career. Um, I've been manipulated by heads of gangs, and I've helped start riots accidentally because I was so duped by these people. Uh, And then as we moved into COVID, what I realized was it's quite nice to not have to be around people, and we have external permission to do it. We have COVID to tell us we don't have to force these interactions. And what I saw in people around me and myself was that when when COVID lifted and people started interacting, we lost that permission. We started to be around people we don't like, people who are toxic, that drain our energy. And it frustrated me that we needed external permission to do that. And so I started writing the book because I want people to know that the permission is inside them. They need to be aware of their own personal boundaries and give themselves permission to maintain their energy and a healthy lifestyle throughout their week, their month, and their life. Well, by the way, when you mentioned COVID, when they said, oh, you have to practice social distancing and then go home and isolate, I'm like, I could do this every day. I live for this. I love this. <laughs> by the way, we had a rule of thumb was you don't let people get within six feet of you for, for whatever reason. And actually, 21 feet is preferred. Dr. Leslie Dobson, thank you so much. And by the way, get more details about her on her website, drleslydobson.com. That's D-R-L-E-S-L-I-E-D-O-B-S-O-N.com. And also look for her on Instagram at Dr. Leslie Dobson. Thanks for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Thank you. If you want to be a guest on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, simply contact us. It couldn't be easier. You can send us a message on Facebook. Look for and like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show page or email j at letradio.com. That's J-A-Y at letradio.com. I'd like to thank our guests for coming on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. 
The Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show is a nationally syndicated weekly radio show broadcast on numerous AM and FM radio stations across the country. We're always adding more affiliate stations. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, which is always free, please do me a favor and tell a friend or two or three. I'll be back in just a few days with another episode of the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.